Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, joined again with my uh, beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. Back after last week's nagging cough. Happy that you're back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're glad that you're here. If you're new, don't let the name fool you. We like to get it out up front and early that we are not religionless and this show is not religionless. We're very Christian folks and this is quite a Christian show, but it's more specifically the world and this nation that's a very religionless, very secular place and that at least in part is where the name comes from. But how can we live a life that's pleasing to God in a religionless world? Uh, That's what we're going to be trying to help you and ourselves with by looking at stories in the news, um, topics pertinent to the Christian faith, like we do every Saturday. And um, this week, we're going to be looking at the news and discussing, as always, it seems, uh, maybe someday this won't be the case, but Donald Trump was in the news again, and we'll be discussing that, as well as Facebook's run-in with the New Mexico Attorney General. And the last story we'll look at is, well, perverts on school boards. I <laughs> um, like we then, haven't talked about that before. <laughs> uh, no, these stories keep popping up. But after that, in honor of our celebration of the birth of our Lord, we're going to go ahead and discuss 10 false beliefs about Jesus. Um, we'll see which ones you believe, maybe which ones we believe as well. Uh, and then we'll end with trying to give you some recommended listening, as we always do. Should be a very good and entertaining show. But before we dive fully into the podcast, is there anything you'd like to say? Prayer request, praise reports, anything of that sort? Yeah, I just praise God that I am better. I've been sick, like with a cough, I guess, twice in a month. Um, I hope that doesn't happen again. But if you were praying for me, thank you. Yeah, just pray that um, we're driving to Spencer's mom's. So safe travel. Supposed to be raining the whole way, but just pray that maybe the roads aren't icy as we go over the mountains. That's what I'm kind of nervous about, but God has always protected us. <laughs> We've done a Jesus lot of traveling. Take wheel. We'll be <laughs> all right. And then just as far as praise reports go, um, a childhood, uh, I would say not a hero, but a fan of mine seems to have come to faith recently, come to faith in Christ, and that is Hulk Hogan. <laughs> he appears to have placed his faith in Christ and was baptized this last week. And this, of course, is awesome. You know, obviously, we don't know the depth of his faith, but that's awesome. I guess him and his wife were baptized at Indian Rocks Baptist Church in Florida. And that's great. So, if you got a spare moment, maybe lift up a prayer that Hulk Hogan's faith would be um, would be true and sure, and that he would endure to the end. And this makes me glad because that's one of my go-to sayings. Um, you know, whenever I'm talking about working out and fitness, is take your vitamins, say your prayers. It's an old Hulk Hogan, you know, tagline. So maybe now he's actually saying his prayers. So that is cool news. Uh, pray for Hulk Hogan there and his wife. But all right, enough of that. Enough of the fun stuff. Let's just get into it. There's no avoiding this. You can't avoid it for too long, it seems, in the world we live in today. 
Um, so we'll just get right into Donald Trump. He, of course, was in the news, as he always is. And do you want to read this first headline, honey? What is the 14th Amendment? Why Colorado disqualified Trump and removed him from the ballot? The Colorado Supreme Court ruled with a 4-3 vote that former President Donald Trump be removed from the state's presidential primary ballot next year. Yep. Um, now, this may have been shocking to some of you, uh, which, you know, means you probably haven't been listening to our podcast, so shame on you. You should be listening um, because we are not shocked. We said that this would happen. We're certainly not the only ones that have mentioned something like this may happen. But we said that this was probably going to happen. And I think the only thing that would be shocking about this is if Colorado is the only state mm -hmm. to remove Trump from the ballot. Uh, do you want to read this next little sentence? The decision rests on their determination that Trump incited an insurrection when, is that, how do you pronounce that word, fomenting? Fomenting. Okay. Fomenting the crowd that caused a riot at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. And Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is where debate about Trump's alleged involvement in the January 6 Capitol riots lies. A lower court judge initially, initially ruled in November that Trump would stay on the primary ballot, while Colorado District Judge Sarah Wallace found Trump engaged in an insurrection. She determined that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment did not apply to a president. Yeah, so they're disqualifying Trump based on the 14th Amendment. Um, Can't you write anyone's name in that you want, though? So uh, yeah, how is this well, making a difference? Yes, I suppose you could. But what's interesting is, as far as I know, as we sit here today, um, Donald Trump has not been convicted of insurrection yet, <laughs> right? That's what they're trying to, you know, label him with and trying to saddle him with. But he hasn't been convicted of anything yet, as far as I know. So how can they actually go through with the removing him from the ballot? Because it's 2023. And why would you let a little thing like reality stop District Judge Sarah Wallace from this unprecedented level of judicial activism? You know, she thinks he committed insurrection. What does the law matter, right? She'll go ahead and remove him from the ballot. And who knows, this might work out for her, right? Maybe she can be a CNN contributor when it's all said and done. <laughs> who knows? She might even be the next Democrat president nominee to the Supreme Court with all of this judicial activism. So uh, pretty, you know, stunning. You know, it's amazing all of the things that have happened to Donald Trump, whether you're for them or against them. It's just one unprecedented thing after another to where you're just like, Oh, something that's never happened before in American history just happened again. Yeah. Yawn. You've like, never seen so much hatred towards any president. Like, yeah. And, you know, California's already talking about potentially trying to remove him from the ballot. But, you know, look, we said that this was going to happen months ago. Um, we said this was a good chance that Donald Trump wouldn't even really be eligible to run for president. And again, Colorado might not be the only state that's going to do something like this. And I think just as of, Friday, the Supreme Court ruled that they wouldn't expedite this decision on whether or not Colorado's uh, decision is legal or not. So they're, they're going to slow roll this anyway. So how's that going to work out for Trump? Who knows? 
Um, but again, California is considering doing something just like this. Uh, and I would assume that every liberal state in America is considering doing something like oh, this. Oh, yeah. Are they all waiting for him to be actually convicted? What are they <laughs> well, waiting for? <laughs> that would make sense. They would actually wait for him to be convicted of insurrection before barring him for insurrection. But this is 2023. Why let a little thing like the law get in your way? Yeah. You can be an activist. Um, but even if this were the case, we just want to remind everybody we're still fine. Ron DeSantis is right there. Go ahead and vote for him. That's what we're going to do anyways. But that aside, um, what's fascinating, and I'm not a legal scholar by any means, of course, barely a Bible scholar, not a Bible scholar, just a dude who reads the Bible. But um, Donald Trump had the chance to pardon himself from many of the legal troubles that he's dealing with today. Maybe even whatever... January 6th was, you know, he might've been able to even to pardon himself from that sort of stuff while he was president, but he didn't. And now because he refuses to step aside, you know, if he beats Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, whoever happens to be and loses to Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom, he'll again be basically blowing his own best chance of not going to prison. Like if he would have stepped aside, just been like, the kingmaker, if you will, and support DeSantis or Haley or Ramaswamy, whoever it was, and they would go and beat Biden or Newsom, then they could pardon Trump or whatever. But if Trump beats them and then he runs and loses to Biden again, there's no one left to help him. <laughs> Nobody on the left is going to pardon Donald Trump. He'll spend the rest of his life in prison. Uh, so, goodness, you know, pride, that's what brought death into the world through Eve and Adam, and it may be the exact thing that brings political death to Donald Trump. Who knows? So not looking good for him, but, uh, you know, we'll see how this thing shakes out. My advice, vote for Ron DeSantis or somebody else. And, uh, you know, no, I, I shouldn't say that. That's not my advice. Vote for who you want to vote for. We're going to vote for Ron DeSantis, but we don't dislike Donald Trump, right? We thought he was a good president. Um, there are other good candidates. So vote for who you, I shouldn't say go vote for DeSantis, vote for who you're comfortable voting for. My point is, I'm not going to lose sleep over this because I think there's a better candidate anyways. Um, right. That's how I feel too. But, you know, just an interesting little uh, tidbit there, right? Just another unprecedented outcome involving Donald Trump ho-hum at this point. But uh, so speaking of the liberal states that would probably want to ban Donald Trump from being able to run for president, New Mexico is one of those liberal states. Um, so our next story comes from the state of New Mexico, and it's actually a pretty good story. Well, it's a horrifyingly awful story, but a good story at the same time. Do you want to read the headline? Attorney General Raul. Raul. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Raul Torres files lawsuit against Meta Platforms and Mark Zuckerberg to protect children from sexual abuse and human trafficking. As is today, Attorney General Raul Torres filed a lawsuit against Meta Platforms, Chief Executive Officer Mark Zuckerberg, and the company's wholly owned subsidiaries, including Instagram, LLC, and Facebook Holdings LLC to protect children from sexual abuse online solicitation, and human trafficking. 
Our investigation into Meta's social media platforms demonstrates that they are not safe spaces for children, but rather prime locations for predators to trade child pornography and solicit minors for sex, said Attorney General Torres. Mr. Zuckerberg and other Meta executives are aware of the serious harm their products can pose to young users. And yet they have failed to make sufficient changes to their platforms that would prevent the sexual exploitation of children, A.G. Torres added, despite repeated assurances to Congress and the public that they can be trusted to police themselves. It is clear that Meta's executives continue to prioritize engagement and ad revenue over the safety of the most vulnerable members of our society. As outlined in today's filing, Meta fails to remove child sexual abuse material across its platforms and enables adults to find, contact, and solicit underage users to produce illicit pornographic imagery and participate in commercial sex. Woo, man. That is uh, some pretty troubling uh, news for Facebook, I would imagine, if any of this is true. But listen to what they... uh, found or what they observed when they were looking into Facebook. It says, over the past few months, New Mexico Attorney General General's Office carried out an undercover investigation of Meta's platform, creating decoy accounts of children 14 years and younger. The office gathered evidence that those platforms have proactively served and directed the underage users a stream of egregious, sexually explicit images even when the child has expressed no interest in this content. They enabled dozens of adults to find, contact, and press children into providing sexually explicit pictures of themselves or participate in pornographic videos. Recommended that the children join unmoderated Facebook groups devoted to facilitating commercial sex, allowed Facebook and Instagram users to find, share, and sell an enormous volume of child pornography, and allowed a fictitious mother to offer her 13-year-old daughter for sale to sex traffickers and to create a professional page to allow her daughter to share revenue from advertising. Holy smokes. That is nuts if that is true. What they were, I mean, because what they're saying in here is that like Mark Zuckerberg and Meta were essentially like pushing for and allowing and even like, uh, I guess, promoting in a sense, this sort of deviant, disgusting, perverted behavior towards children. I mean, like it says in that first one, they were directing, um, or what did it say? Uh, yeah, it proactively served and directed underage users sexually explicit images, even when the kids had no interest in the content. So, yeah, because you can click on something and say it made you feel unsafe or it was inappropriate. And I mean, there's been times I've gotten some inappropriate ads, and well, we share an account, but. So I don't know if you see the same things on your phone, but I, I don't know if we get different ads because it's different devices. But yeah, I would click, like I'd report it. I would say, you know, I do it over and over again because it would keep popping up. I'm like, I 
I reported it three different times, putting something different each time, it still pops up. And what's funny is like <clears throat> right after Elon Musk, I believe, bought Twitter, that was one of the big things that was talked about that like child pornography was kind of Twitter was the place where they went to sort of share that sort of uh, material or at least, you know, connect with other perverts in some sort of way. But man, it appears as though Facebook was right there running, you know, neck and neck with Twitter trying to share that child pornography. And, you know, from a Christian perspective, the reason I bring this story up uh, is if you love your kids, get them off of social media. If they haven't been on it, praise God, and do not let them get on social media. It's rot for their minds, first and foremost, and it's harm to their souls. You're really just throwing them into this ocean of perverts and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg apparently seems to be perfectly comfortable with making a, a buck off these child predators. Uh, so not a place you should want your kids to be or you should allow your kids to be if you love them and you care for their souls. You know, if you love your kids, please get them off of social media. If they aren't on it, don't let them get on it. And, you know, maybe you should get off it as well, too. We should get off it or at least in, you know, it's something that we go back and forth with. So pray for us where get it off our phones and at least just use it on your computer when you're sitting down. Like, I don't know. I don't have the right answer for you in a social media world, but protect your kids is all There's I know. There's already just so many dangers out there, you know, things you have to think about to protect your kids from. It's gosh, this social media is just the, your kid is alone when they're on. I know I've talked about this before. You're alone when you're on a screen like even if you're surrounded yeah. by people in the same room you're alone they can they're predators i mean they know yeah. that the kid no is not being looked after no and there's nowhere safe the to fact go, that right? the kid like, has an account they're easy prey you're gonna give your kid twitter and he's going to learn to be hateful, spiteful, mm. you know, condescending, rude, which is what everyone on Twitter is. So you're like, oh, I don't want to give him Twitter. I'll give him TikTok. Well, good. Then he'll be socially contagioned <clears throat> into transgenderism and wanting to become a girl or a boy. So you're like, well, I guess at least Facebook's safe. No, Mark Zuckerberg's, you know, selling your kid's information off to child predators so he can make a buck. So there is no safe space for them. Uh, the safest space for them is not on social media. Maybe let them go play in a field <laughs> with a stick and a ball, right? Uh, a little bit of baseball out in a field might be what they need. So this is crazy. Uh, I hope if any of it's true, I hope that Raul Torres in the New Mexico Attorney General's office absolutely crucifies Facebook. I would love if even any of this was true if they just completely bankrupted Facebook and shut the platform down. Oh my goodness, life would be so much better. I know I use Facebook, but... I use it for this podcast 90% of the time and I would still be okay with it being gone. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like anything that's a addiction, if you will, right? Like, well, why don't you just stop using it? And you're like... I get it. It's hard, right? I mean, ask a guy who's tried to quit smoking cigarettes 47 times, like, just stop. He's like, I've thrown them away 80 times. I keep buying them again. I'm struggling. Like, well, wouldn't it be good if they'd no longer made you cigarettes? You have more excuses. Like, there's more good reasons to 
have a social media account, I mean, you stay in touch with people. It is, there's good about it. There's nothing good about cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, listen, I'm not telling you, whatever, this isn't a episode about social media and all of its ills. And this is a, a spot about protect your kids. Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg seem to be, again, willing to sell their information and pervert them to any degree uh, so long as they can make a buck off them. So protect your kids. Don't let them on social media. Um, you know, in fact, get them in school and protect them there. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> that leads us into our third story. They can't be protected there. Do you want to read this headline as well? Okay. Another name I can't pronounce. How do you say his last name? I would say Carl Frisch. Okay. Carl Frisch, sworn in with banned books. Okay. Fairfax County School Board member Carl Frisch was sworn into office on December 13th as the newly elected chair during the board's regular meeting session. Frisch was sworn in on a stack of the five LGBTQ-themed books most frequently banned by other school systems. Those books included Lawn Boy, Gender Queer, Flamer, and All Boys Aren't Blue, all of which have been criticized and flagged by other schools for sexual content. His action mirroring that of newly appointed Central Bucks Board of School Director Karen Smith in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Well, it is comforting to know, isn't it, that perverts don't stand alone. <laughs> Strength in numbers is what I was always taught as a kid. Uh, maybe Carl Frisch and Karen Smith knew that as well. Um, but here you have a Fairfax County school board member. I believe he's an openly gay man who's being mm -hmm. sworn in by his boyfriend, whatever you want to call him. I don't know what he is. But being sworn in on a stack of essentially g gay pornography. And do they usually swear in on a Bible? What do they usually swear in with? Yeah, on a Bible normally. Is it? But I think that they're allowed to swear in on whatever they want. So, so the Bible is representing God. These books represent the Satan, yeah. his God. Right. Okay. So that's Makes the sense. case that he's making. He could have, you know, went to the Iowa State House and sworn in on the Baphomet statue. Mm -hmm. Would have been the same thing. But yeah. But this is coming against, like, like this is another, yeah, against the kids. Right. And this is everywhere. I, yeah. Someone should probably go and check Carl Frisch's Facebook account and see what he's been dabbling in, I would imagine. But uh, yeah, just swears in on a stack of gay porn, basically. And what's crazy is he's following essentially the lead of the Central Bucks, Pennsylvania school director, Karen Smith. Um, you know, and we say it often on this show, and we'll say it again, and we'll continue to say it get your kids out of public school if you have any way to do it at all even if it's challenging just do it like Home how do you know what's happening because they're they hide things from the parents already like there's things they don't disclose to parents right. like it's it's probably being done everywhere i would assume and you know and that's you know you can stick your head in the sand and go well <laughs> it's probably not happening at my school maybe uh you know, that wasn't a risk we were willing to take with our kids. I'm not telling you you have to. I'm just suggesting you should. Um, you know, I think if you want to protect your kids, again, get them off social media. 
and get them out of public school, protect them from these perverts and these predators. And now I'm not necessarily telling you Carl Frisch is a predator, but consider a homosexual grown man that wants kids in his school to read gay porn just might be a predator. Just saying, um, you know, if you're looking for warning signs to me, that would be one. I wonder um, if we go back and look up just, I don't know anything about the schools in that district. If how many people are pulling their kids out of school? Well, Fairfax is in Virginia, I believe. Right. And a lot of the news has been around Loudoun County. Loudoun County has kind of been a hotbed for like school board shenanigans and stepping on parents' rights and um, that sort of it's stuff. It's already been going on. So it seems okay. like Fairfax is like, we're not going to be, you know, one up by Loudoun County. Okay. So this isn't we're like gonna, a shocking or thing. Or maybe Fairfax them. is in Loudoun County. I don't know, Virginia, um, the layout of the state. But either way, this isn't new to Virginia. But yeah, pretty crazy uh, that someone would do this. You know, your kid's education, it isn't more important than their souls. Um, and people like Carl Frisch and Karen Smith, they want to teach your kid secular, anti-Christ beliefs, and you're endangering your children by sending them to these institutions. Um, and not to mention, public school education isn't even good, right? It's been getting worse and worse year after year. So it's not like they're missing out on much, mm -hmm. uh, I promise you. So keep them home, protect them from people like Carl Frisch and Karen Smith, is our opinion. Um, God gave you the children. He commissioned you with raising them. He will give you the grace to raise them. Um, mm. I promise you, he will do that for you. Yeah. Protecting so. them comes before filling them with whatever knowledge, I mean, that the schools are giving them. It's not anything different than what you can teach them at home. Yeah. Like, really. it's great if your kid learns, you know, whatever, social studies. I don't think it's worth being taught by a pervert who wants to read gay porn to them. I don't think that's worth it in the long run. Um, but, you know. If your kid loves to read. That's my opinion. Um, homeschooling is easier. So just for those who have kids who like to read, they, are, they will teach themselves because they enjoy reading. So... They don't enjoy reading. It's a little bit more of a struggle, but... And we've mentioned it before. We'll mention it again. If you have thought of homeschooling, but you're unsure, you don't know how to start, where to go, uh, we are proud members of the Christian Podcast community. One of the great podcasts on the Christian Podcast community is Schoolhouse Rocked. You can go listen to that podcast. Go check out their website. They've done documentaries. They do it all. Any homeschool question you could have, I'm certain they have an answer. So you can find them on any... Anywhere you go and listen to podcasts, Homeschool Rocked. Uh, I'm sure they got website links in there as well. And uh, they will get you the information you need. And your kid will be all the better for it. But uh, yeah, Carl Frisch. So this world, you know, it's dark. It's evil. Uh, evil is abounding. But, you know, the good news is that we can look to Christ, especially this Christmas season. And many do. But do they look to him correctly? Or when they see him, do they see him correctly? You know, uh, this is the question 
that we want to sort of look at today, or this is the topic we want to look at today for the remainder of the show. And it's the question important enough that the Lord asked it to his disciples. You know, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus asked the disciples, who, uh, who do people say the Son of Man is? Mm-hmm. It was important enough to Jesus, should be important enough for us to consider. So for the rest of the show, we're done with the news. We're going to dive into our, you know, 10 false views of Christ. And then when we get to the end of those, we'll try to give you, you know, maybe somewhere to go for the proper understanding of Christ. So stick around for that. Now, we did not come up with these 10 um, false views. Many of them we heard of for the first time looking Mm -hmm. at this ourselves. Couldn't pronounce them. I probably won't pronounce them right. Yeah, so bear (laughs) with us on that. But again, if you're interested in this or any of the stories we talked about, all of these will, of course, be linked in the show notes. You can go give them a, a look yourself. But this story comes from Christian Post. They're the ones that came up with these 10. So if you agree with these or if you disagree with them, that's fine too. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know why you agree or why you disagree. Or maybe if you have some deeper insight, you know, because some of these we've never heard of before. So we're kind of just taking them at face value and uh, that's about all we know on them. So come on social media. uh, Don't let your kids there, but you can come drop us a comment. You know, YouTube, you can leave us a comment, send us an email. All that stuff's down in the show notes. So without further ado, honey, we'll get into the first heretical view or false view. And that first false view is Arianism. Do you want to read what Arianism is? Uh, Arianism, named after Arius, a priest in Alexandria, held that Jesus Christ was created by the Father and thus was not co-eternal or of the same substance as God. This belief challenged the concept of the Holy Trinity by asserting that Jesus was subordinate to God the Father. Modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses under the name Watchtower are a modern-day version of this heretical view. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I (sighs) don't know a lot about Jehovah's Witness. Uh, I don't know much about their beliefs, so definitely the first time I'm hearing about that. But I would say it's heretical. Um, You know, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. You know, that seems pretty clear. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I thought, you know, maybe when you're reading the New World Translation, which I believe is the Jehovah's Witness Translation, uh, maybe it's not so clear. So I went and looked up this verse, John chapter 10, verse 30, in the New World Translation Study Bible. They have a study Bible. And here's what it says. It says, um, Jesus, uh, Jesus's comments here show that he and his father are unified in protecting sheep-like ones and leading them to everlasting life. So they're, they believe that they're just one. Basically in, in their mission. Mission. So, uh, you know, Jesus says, I and my father are one. They go, yes, they're one in leading sheep or the sheep to everlasting life. Uh, so just for a different, more traditional understanding of John chapter 10 verse 30, I went and grabbed Matthew Henry's comments and a great Puritan commentator, Matthew Henry. And he says, 
this denotes more than the harmony and consent and good understanding that were between the Father and the Son in the works of man's redemption. Every good man is so far one with God as to concur with him. Therefore, it must be meant of the oneness of the nature of the Father and Son, that they are the same in substance and equal in power and glory. (laughs) So, uh, the New World Translation says, yes, Jesus meant they're on the same mission. Matthew Henry said, yep, sounds pretty clear that they're talking about the same substance, equal in power and glory. So I would tell you, stick with Matthew Henry here, folks, and you'll do all right. Um, But yeah, this is a a well-known heretical belief. And this is one of the early heresies that Athanasius, um, who if you're watching on the YouTube or Facebook or Rumble, our quote on the back wall here is from Athanasius. And this is one of the heresies that he fought against uh, around 300 to 400 AD. You know, so this was an early heresy in the Christian church that had to be dealt with. And Athanasius was one of those guys uh, who suffered greatly for fighting against this because this was a heresy that gained a decent amount of ground in his day. Um, So he great pains to himself to fight against this heretical teaching, but um, seems to still be getting spread around today by Jehovah's Witness. So whenever they knock on your door the next time, be like, I'm not yeah. believing that heretical Arianism. I guess the main thing to bring up to these other religions when they try to share their gospel with you is is just get right to the point. Who is Jesus? That's all that really matters. Well, yes and no. Um, you know, we are uh part of the Christian podcast community again, one of you know the founder at the you know, executive director or whatever of the Christian podcast community is Andrew Rappaport. He does a lot of outreach to Mormons, Jehovah's Witness. But one of the things that he will talk about is you really don't want to dive into scripture right away because as soon as you highlight that you have a deep understanding of scripture, they're going to leave. So you kind of have to baby step them to this. So maybe have a plan, know where you're going, but don't just dive right into like, tell me what John chapter 10, verse 30 means. They're going to be like, let's get out of here. That crazy? You know, so Gosh. baby step it a little bit, potentially, you know, try your own thing. But uh, Andrew gave us that piece of advice as I was trying to... to what the point? Because you don't want them to run away. You want to yeah, try you want and... the discussion. And that's something we should never truth. do. If they knock on your door, whatever, they're coming down the street, <laughs> don't cross the street. Go and engage them um, for their soul's sake. Yeah. You know, do your best to share the truth. You're right. You have, people, you have people who don't know the gospel knocking on your door like... How much easier could it be for yes. you? <laughs> what a treat. <laughs> uh, Welcome so them in. That's yeah. the first heretical view. Let's move on here to the second so we don't keep you guys here all through Christmas. The second heretical view, uh, one I've never heard of, this is docetism. All right. It says from the Greek, dokin. There's a lot of words in here. Dokin, maybe? Not going to pronounce right. Which means to seem. Claimed that Jesus only seemed to have a human body and suffer on the cross. This view denied the true humanity of Jesus, suggesting that his physical form and sufferings were mere illusions. This was a form of Gnosticism. Yeah, so, you know, we talked about Athanasius fighting against Ar- or Arianism. Um, 
And again, while that was being fought against in like 300 to 400 AD, uh, this heresy sounds like of docetism goes back even further. You know, uh, they said this is a form of Gnosticism. And it's my understanding that the apostle John essentially wrote his gospel to combat the false teachings of Gnosticism. So maybe this was one of those false teachings. Hmm. Um, and this also, I think, goes against really the teachings from the writer of Hebrews. You know, he wrote, and I think it's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7. I didn't take the verse down here, but it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brother in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You know, so if Jesus wasn't actually man, if he didn't actually suffer and die, he wouldn't be the Messiah because he wouldn't have fulfilled prophecies concerning the Messiah, and therefore he would be rendering God a liar. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go and read Isaiah 53, that, to me, it clearly mm -hmm. depicts a man who suffered and died, mm -hmm. not the illusion of a man who suffered and died. And, you know, Psalm 22, that same thing, right, paints a picture of a Messiah who's going to die. You know, so this would certainly be a heresy, in my opinion. Uh, we also have Colossians 2.9, you know, that says, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus wasn't an illusion. He was fully God. He was fully man. So this certainly seems like a heresy, but again, could be an old heresy. I know you said it was like an illusion, like the death of Christ and him bearing our sins. And that was an illusion. Was that an illusion? for us or for God? Like, did it seem that way just for us or for God's view? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Did Interesting God... thing. And it also made me think of Islam. You know, we were just talking about this today because Islam, I believe, holds to the view, you know, they will tell you they believe in Jesus. He's a great prophet, all this stuff. But then they'll also say that he didn't actually die on the cross because at the last second, you know, God basically switched the bodies and took Christ off the cross, almost like that was an illusion. It was a magic trick. Yeah, well, well, the thing is not just that he died for our sins, but that he lived the righteous life that we should have lived. Yes, was his life an illusion too? Yeah, we See? get his righteousness. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know. Never met somebody that claimed to believe in docetism. But again, maybe there's some... I don't know the logic behind it, like what would be their thinking... Yeah, again, if you know more about that. this, come let us know. We don't know much more than what we're reading here. But um, yeah, let us know what you know about docetism. But let's go on to our third heresy. And that third one, kind of like the second one, is Gnosticism. All right, says it was a diverse set of beliefs. Some uh, posited that Jesus was a divine being who came to impart secret knowledge, which is Gnosis, which would be necessary for salvation. This belief often denied the humanity of Jesus, viewing the material world as inherently evil or imaginary. Yeah, so we already, you know, talked a little bit about Gnosticism on the last point. And maybe Gnosticism is kind of like a catch-all for heresy, you know. But yeah. interestingly, one of the things I heard a few weeks ago for the first time was somebody mentioned that Calvinism is basically Gnosticism. You know, they brought up something about John Calvin wore a dress and Calvinism is 
Gnostic in its origin, something to that effect. Um, now, for those of you who are new here, um, we don't want to surprise anyone, of course, but Nikki and I would be labeled as Calvinists in our beliefs, and we wouldn't push back on that at all. Um, so we, of course, don't agree that Calvinism is Gnosticism, but we'd love to know what you guys think. Um, you know, we know that Calvinism is kind of a curse word for many in the Christian faith today. If you bring it up, they, you know, they'd rather see a Baphomet statue in the state house of Iowa than, you know, a Calvinist preaching the doctrines of grace, it seems. So, uh, and then I also heard something that uh, Calvinism is a man-centered idea of Christianity, which that one seemed weird to me since mm-hmm. Calvinism is kind of all about God's sovereignty. Um, but either way, yeah. this isn't really at all about Gnosticism. Again, maybe this is just a Gnosticism is a catch-all for heresy. Yeah. Um, but again, even speaking to the fact that the Apostle John saw fit to write a gospel refuting Gnosticism is all we need to know about Gnosticism. <laughs> it's a false belief if John's telling us it's a false belief, essentially. So uh, Gnosticism is a heresy, although many listeners might say, yeah, well, so is Calvinism. You know, but uh, let's see, we'll let you have to have those arguments and debates. But um, that one wasn't on the list. So save that for another day. So the fourth heresy here that the Christian Post identified, again, one I'd never heard of. And this one is Nest, uh, Nestorianism. All right. It says it's associated with Nestorius, Archbishop of Constantinople, emphasize the disunion between the human and divine natures of Jesus Christ. It suggested that there were two separate persons in Jesus, one divine and one human, rather than two natures united in one person. That's really weird. It's like, yeah, two separate natures inside of Jesus. But it seems weird, but this one to me seems somewhat like a logical conclusion that you would come to based on human rationale. You know, like Christ's nature, the Trinity, these are concepts that the human mind right. can't really comprehend. So it requires a level of faith. You know, mm-hmm. and not everyone is comfortable living totally by faith. You know, so they take these biblical concepts of Christ and the tra- uh, Trinity and so on, And again, I would say things like election and predestination that we can't really wrap our minds around. And they just dismiss them for this more rational explanation. And, um, Hmm. you know, and again, this brings up to me, at least Islam. Uh, I was listening to like an Islam uh, scholar, whatever talk. And this was one of the points that he kind of brought up is that the Trinity is illogical, you know, three gods in one god it doesn't make any sense is kind of the point you know so when they were you know creating islam uh twisting scripture back in whatever the 600s 700s when they were writing that thing or whatever it was uh, this again seems like a logical human rationale to come to like three and one what does that even mean allah is one god that makes sense like um so again I'm not saying it's correct, but this one seems logical, right? What do you mean there's, he's the divine and the man, like in one, how do you get two in one? You know, it, if you've seen that, uh, that state farm commercial where they talk about, 
uh, I can't remember how the commercial goes, but he talks about, you know, everyone being one, but he talks about like four different topics and they're like, how is it one if there's four? And he's like, not if you bundle it. And they're like, oh, <laughs> and like, and that's kind of what this two natures in one. Like, well, not if you bundle them, you know, then oh you have Christ gosh, or whatever. Funny. So I haven't seen that. Uh, but I think most heresies result from man trying to make God into something that we can more easily grasp. You know, again, the Trinity is hard. I think you have to remember what Jesus said. Like he says, I, you know, if I go to the Father and he will send the helper, the, the comforter, he does all these things for us that only God can do. Um, he's, and we, we know that the Spirit is God's Spirit. So, and they were all there at Jesus's, you know, Jesus was baptized, the Father was speaking, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, like all three separate, but one God. Right. And I mean, again, I don't know how these people would wrestle with something like Christ's baptism. You know, when you see Christ and I don't know how they would wrestle with that. But again, I think when for a lot of people, I mean, this is the atheistic mindset, right? Like I need a natural explanation to the supernatural. You're like, well, you can't give someone a natural explanation to supernatural. That's why it's supernatural. Well, it's not good enough. I won't believe. Um, and then I think same thing here, right? He can't have two natures in one nature. It doesn't make sense. He has two distinct natures. Not what it says, right? So you kind of have to have a bit of faith. And, you know, not everyone's comfortable living by faith entirely. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, you know, I think if we want to walk rightly before the Lord, though, we we need to accept that we're not going to have the answers to all of it. Um, I mean, there's so much. I mean, just Abraham being a father of many nations and he was old, like, how could you believe something that's impossible? Like, yeah. I'm old. I can't have children. My wife's old. Well, and that's what's <laughs> funny, too. When you talk to people, you know, about belief in God or what do you mean he parted the water? That's nonsense. And it's like, if you could start with the point of getting them to agree that, like, do you believe that God spoke the universe into existence? And if they say yes, then it's like, how could you believe that parting water is at all difficult then? If he spoke everything into existence and holds it perfectly in his hand, I know. then parting water is something, you know, he does without even thought, essentially. Like, that's, that's a nothing to him. Walking on water, what are you talking about? That's nothing to him. So it's just a funny way that we have of, you know... Yes, I can believe in God. And yes, I can believe that, you know, Christ rose from the dead and all. It'd be like, but you don't believe that he like healed a guy's blind eyes. You think that's a bridge too far? So, hmm. you know, and again, back to this uh, Nestorianism, you know, two natures in one. Uh, again, we kind of already talked about Colossians 2 9, fullness of the deity in bodily form. Uh, so, Again, this is a less prominent heresy, one that I've, again, never heard of, not like Gnosticism or Arianism, but uh, I would say it's a heresy nonetheless. So that takes us to our fifth heresy. And that one, probably not going to get this name right. This one is monophysitism. Hmm, monophysitism. From the Greek, monos, 
which means single, and physis means nature, it held that Jesus had only one divine nature rather than both divine and human natures. This belief was a reaction against Nestorianism and was seen as undermining the full humanity of Jesus. In this view, the divinity of Jesus totally subsumed the human aspect of Jesus, thus diminishing the incarnation. Yeah, so this one to me sounds like the exact opposite of Nestorianism, uh, the previous one. It's almost like what it made me think of is whoever started this. Uh, it was like an early case of trying to find your cultish niche, if you will. Like, you know, some dude back in the day had a desire to start a cult, wanted some cultish rule over a group of people, and just decided you know what, I'm going to take the exact opposite view of Nestorianism, and I'll build a following on that. And uh, I went and looked up in Britannica what monophysitism was. Uh, in the little part that they had written there, they said, the label also was attached to various theologians in groups. Um, so there were many monophysitists, if you will. Uh, it says, although some who were called monophysitists Monophysites, monophysites, mono somethingites, notably Cyrivus of Antioch, who died in 538, reputed the terminology of Chalcedon as self-contradictory. So probably talking about the Chalcedonian Creed as self-contradictory. So this is basically, at least to me, what they're saying is Servius of Antioch is basically saying what we just talked about in the previous point. Um, what the Bible teaches doesn't make sense to the human mind, so dismiss it and come up with a more logical explanation, right? I don't understand how there can be two natures in one, so that means the divine nature completely assumed the human nature and Christ was just divine. Not what the Bible says, but that's something you got to take by faith. Servius of Antioch was like, no, I don't. <laughs> I can start a cult and we'll just believe whatever we want. Um, so. Yeah, almost the exact opposite of Nestorianism, right? They said two distinct natures in one person, or two distinct natures. I can't even remember I'm anymore. I'm getting them kind of mixed up. And monophysitism said, nope, there wasn't two distinct because the divine got rid of the, the human, and he just had one nature now. So, yeah, almost the exact opposite. It's like, why would you not want to believe that he was fully human? That's the whole point of him sympathizing with our weaknesses and being the high priest, being able to sit at the Father's right hand and forgive our sins, interceding for us. And like right, that just gets rid of the good news. Like if he's not fully man yeah, and, and that's fully the whole God, verses of, you know, he was tempted like us so that he could advocate and like help us in our temptation. We read Hebrews chapter two, he was made like us in every way, all these sorts of things. That takes but it's away like, like his humility as well. And just the well, it takes away all the suffering, right? If he was just fully divine, then he wasn't tempted by Satan in the desert. He was God. Satan can't tempt God, right? But Jesus, in his forty days of fasting and hunger and whatever it was, was tempted, right? Uh, I would assume, and you know, all those sorts of things. So definitely, it's a heresy for sure. But you know, I've been reading through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Advent devotional. Uh, on the YouTube channel, uh, TikTok, Facebook, all that sort of stuff. 
if you guys want to come check those out, we're going to finish the month out with Bonhoeffer. But um, one of the things that he's been talking about, or he did at least a week on it during the Advent devotional, is he speaks about the mystery of Christ and how we really need to embrace the mystery. And really, it's faith in that mystery that in part leads to our salvation. And I like that, you know, because as we kind of said on here already, we can't know everything about God. And if we can't accept that, then we're going to find ourselves falling into the realm of heresy at best, like these people, the monophysites and Nestorians. That's the best result. Or at worst, right, you're just going to go straight out into atheism because it doesn't make sense to you. And I, I can't believe something that's not rational, logical, all this sort of stuff. So, um, What a burden um, just to think that you have to have it all figured out in order to believe God, in order to... Well, and that's your... a standard that people only place on God, by and large. There's a an apologist, that you've probably seen him, he's on TikTok and different things, and he's on like a college campus, and there's always students just asking him questions, and he's just... Oh, yeah. I can't think I of his, his name. name. But one of the ones that I've seen a couple times is like a girl, and she's like, I want 100% proof, you know, that Christ whatever, lived and died and rose again. And he makes a great point that he's like, you don't have 100% proof of anything. Why do you expect to have 100% proof of this? You know, and he makes mm. a point that like, I mean, like, I don't have 100% proof that Nikki loves me. I believe she does. I have faith that she does. Experience tells me that she does, but I don't have 100% proof. How could I ever have 100% proof? I don't, know her thoughts and her Even heart. Even if I tried to prove it to you. <laughs> but you know, for anything, right? Like we don't have a hundred percent proof of anything, but we expect that somehow we're going to have 100% rock solid, natural, logical proof of God when we don't need that for anything else in our life. Uh, it's a burden that we place on God that we don't put on anybody else. So yeah, uh, very silly. But again, I would say this is heresy, much like it just shows the prideful heart against God. Whatever excuses, whatever walls you can put up to not have to submit to him. Yeah, they're like, I need to know God exists. Like, open your eyes. You see how there's something instead of nothing? Somebody created it. And they're like, not good enough. All right, then. Um, so definitely a heresy. Number six, though. This one is Marcionism. All right, it's founded by Marcion of Sinope. That's Sinope. <laughs> this belief system rejected the Old Testament and viewed the God of the Hebrew Bible as inferior, inferior to that of the New Testament. Marcionism uh, posited that Jesus was the son of the New Testament God, entirely distinct from the Yahweh of the Old Testament in contemporary times. Christians who neglect the Old Testament because they think the New Testament reveals the love of God better than the First Testament have an adopted form of Marcionism. Yeah, so I would say Marcionism, Marcionism, probably the same word, who knows. Uh, I tried to look up and listen to the spelling of oh, all these. They probably say it right, and I don't. They but... didn't stick. <laughs> so this one, man, I just feel like this I think this would one's completely, common. Oh, I think this one's very common. 
though they wouldn't understand what they actually believe. But I think this has to distort one of Christ's great proclamations that he is God, right? John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Um, And in that verse, Jesus is obviously and clearly making a reference to Yahweh, to God speaking and revealing himself to Moses in the burning bush, right? He's clearly uh, saying he is the God of the Old Testament that spoke to Moses, right? Like, but you would have to essentially throw that out in order to come up with Marcionism or Mar, whatever you said it was. Yeah. Um, so Hmm. like he would, you have to throw that out and say that he's not claiming to be God, right? So, because he's not claiming to be some other New Testament God, right? Uh, but right. he's claiming to be the same God yes. that said, "I am" to Moses, and that's the way that the Jews of that day understood it, right? Because in the very next verse, it talks about people that heard that picked up stones to throw at Jesus because they yeah. knew what he was claiming. Um, but again, this in a way makes sense, right? Because it can be difficult to wrap our minds around or make sense of the God that is oftentimes presented in the Old Testament, you know, the God of judgment and punishment against the wicked, hoard out on people and this sort of stuff. And then that Prince of Peace that Jesus is in much of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So I think like other heresies that we've already talked about, it's easier to just decide, well, it must be different, you know, gods from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I didn't think that he was a different God, but I used to kind of think, oh, we don't need the Old Testament anymore because we're in the New Covenant and things are different in the New Covenant. You know, this was probably like 10 years ago. I said that to somebody, to an atheist who was questioning. And I think he was asking, I don't know, we were on the LGBT subject, LGBTQ, whatever letters were in there, not in there then, but... Yeah. I was just... I don't know. I was trying to say like, oh, the Old Testament, it was this way, but God's more, I think, yeah, I did not have a complete understanding at all. I used to think God has changed. I think I really thought that. And that's why we said, I think this is a very common belief because I think that is a very common belief in certain circles of Christianity. They may not say we believe in Marcionism or that the God of the Old Testament, but there's a lot of sort of church churches and Uh, I don't know as far as denominations, but there's, you know, churches and stuff like that that really gloss over or overlook the Old Testament for that specific reason. They really just focus strictly on the New Testament because they don't really like the God that's presented there or they don't know how to make sense of the God that's presented there and Christ. So they sort of gloss over a lot of it. So I think in a way, there's a lot of people that maybe unintentionally uh, hold to this heresy that they're somehow different uh, gods or that the God of the Old Testament has sort of passed away or changed. Well, he's not holy um, if he's just the New Testament God and you have this only God is love um, view of him, then he's not a holy God because the holy God has to punish sin, is separate from sin. And we're called to be holy as he is holy in in that respect, that we're supposed to separate ourselves from sin and from the world. Like, what God are you trying to be like? Like, he's the same God. Well, and maybe that's 
how a lot of these seeker sensitive sort of water down sin type of churches, I think maybe unintentionally even hold to this, right? That, you know, I would assume every pride church, right? That supports they would have to essentially hold to this view, right? That God doesn't require you to live righteously. He doesn't expect you to hate sin. He doesn't expect you to, to, you know, have evidence of the spirit working in you. Just love, baby. Like, as long as you love people, that's all God requires now. So I think that's a unintentional Marcionist belief, if you will. And uh, so I would say it's definitely a heresy to consider Christ and the God of the Old Testament, which is a stupid thing to say because they're the same. And I will just mention, so certainly a heresy, but I will also just mention that I think any view that sees God at any point in history as inferior to anything else in all of history, even a new God, is heresy. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if any view that you hold says that God there is inferior to anything or anybody at any other point in history, that's probably a heretical view. Um, So don't hold that view. (laughs) So even if you're saying God is now uh, inferior to who he is now, Nope. Bible says he's God and he doesn't change. That's quite a drastic so, change. If God used to be holy and used to punish sin and all of a sudden doesn't anymore, like I, I that's that's terrifying sin. to think now God changes. Yeah. yeah. So very weird. Definitely a uh, heresy, I would say. So that takes us to heresy number seven, and this one is adoptionism. That one's easy to pronounce. Somewhat. All right. It was the belief that Jesus was born as a mere man and was adopted as the Son of God at his baptism, resurrection, or ascension. This view contradicted the Orthodox belief in the pre-existence of Christ and his divine nature from birth. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just uh, sorry if you guys are listening and you can hear aircraft flying over us. It's like... I don't know what's going on tonight. It's like they're, you know, making like bombing runs on D-Day or it's something the over holidays. here. Something's going on here. <laughs> we got aircraft flying overhead. We got dogs barking in the background. So uh, it's the holidays. Bear with I'm us. Just, there are just more flights around the holidays. That's what I mean. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But uh, so anyways, with adoptionism, I would say certainly uh, this is a heresy. And I think it contradicts, of course, the preexistence of Christ. Right, they're saying that Jesus was just adopted into his sort of uh, lordship, if you will, or whatever. That doesn't. Um, this one just is. It's the weird, dumbest right? one, I think, <laughs> because to me it clearly contradicts John chapter one. Everyone knows the verse, verses uh, one through three. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, so this... and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So they believe the Trinity wasn't eternal. They couldn't, right? Uh, And I think, you know, this made me think of Mormonism, right? Where Christ was us in a sense, and we become gods and we get our own world kind of a thing. It doesn't say that here, but this to me made me think of Mormonism in a sense. Uh, But again, this clearly contradicts scripture. Uh, that speaks of Christ's preexistence. Uh, Second wanna... Timothy chapter one. Let me just get this verse out okay. real quick. Chapter one, verse eight and nine. Um, Paul writing, he says, 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of either the witness about our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Mm. I think that makes pretty clear Christ was not just some dude that was adopted in, you know, because of his righteous living and God, you know, decided to make him God of this world or whatever. Uh, he was there from all eternity. How are people sold on Mormonism? Well, what's the, like the thing that for them that makes sense I as think opposed it's to enticing. Christianity? I think it's you an, get to be a God. You get to be a God. You get to have, well, yeah, I mean, you get to be a God. Did we ever have a whole episode just talking about Mormonism? Like how no, we talked about it a handful of times in different aspects, but you know, I think that's one of the enticements of it is that you know you get to be a god and uh, a lord of your own world. And I sense. don't want to be. I. I mean, of course we don't. But I mean, that isn't enticing. I just want to be with my savior. Right, and that's a, and they don't even get into like heresies of like actual false religions here, like Mormonism. They talked about Jehovah's Witness, but they don't mention Islam and Scientology and all these wacky things. I don't know. But I would say that's all. I mean, obviously, Mormonism is sort of a false view of Christ because your desire is not to just live in the presence of Christ and serve him joyfully for eternity. The desire is, well, I'm going to be just like him. And he's not going to be around anymore because I'll have my own world and it's, I'll be the Christ of that world. But it's the desire that Satan had. It, that's sense. what it comes down to. You, I mean, it's you're going to be like satanic God. religion, right? Because any religion that's not true to Christ is a false religion and it's of the devil. So what do so. they think about the temptation? I mean, that Satan brought, you'll be like God. Do they think, you know, Satan was telling the truth? That, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what they get into. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of those hard nuts to crack with a Mormon, right? When you talk to them about, you believe the Holy Spirit inspired the I know, Bible? I have so many things I want to bring up. Yeah, about we don't it. want we to go down it. that rabbit hole. Like, I think uh, we, we should talk about here. it one day, though, because it's... Uh, yeah, uh, maybe we'll have Andrew on someday or something and discuss Mormonism and outreach to Mormons. Definitely a topic that should be discussed over and over again, right? As long as there's a Mormon left in the world, there should be people <clears throat> trying to advocate and reach them. But, um, hmm. yeah, so, again, this is a false view, right, a heretical view that somehow Christ was essentially us before becoming the God of this world, basically. Um, you know, again, like I mentioned, it makes me think of Mormonism. Uh, either way, this is a heresy. Mormonism is a heresy. And, again, this is um, a direct... Uh, this is in direct conflict, or this is basically the exact things, right, that Paul was warning us about. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, uh, Paul says, As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is proclaiming to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let him be accursed. Uh, you wouldn't be accursed if you weren't believing heresy or false teachings, right? So I just have something I have to ask, though. So they believe that Jesus had to be saved before what like did sin always exist or is god destroying sin and the devil and they just don't exist anymore or, or when we're a god um, it, it can come back and we can die for the sins of our creation 
you know, Mormonism is an interesting one because I don't even know how they speak against sin per se, because they're universalist in their beliefs, right? Everybody goes to heaven in the Mormon belief. And you don't even have to accept Christ in this world or in this life. After death, I believe you have an opportunity to choose basically heaven or hell. So in that sense, right, then who is going to possibly choose hell? <laughs> You're presented with a lake of fire or eternal bliss and joy. Everyone's going to choose heaven. So it's it's Jesus. weird too, right? Because why would you even be a Mormon missionary and knock on people's doors why do you care? Like, Nobody's going to be separated from God for all yeah, eternity. I don't know enough about Mormonism uh, other than just kind of some of those big points. But yeah, I don't know how you really even uh, talk a lot. of. I mean, maybe it's more rewards. Maybe you become a god of your own world faster if you live a sinless life or you... I mean, it's reward enough that you go to the lowest level of heaven. It's got to be better than than earth. Yeah, it's a very weird religion, right? Because they claim, it's like Islam, right? Oh, the Bible and the Gospels, we believe those, but the book that we really claim to believe in contradicts all of those teachings, but somehow we hold them both in esteem. Like, it doesn't make any sense, but... Um, it's very anti-Christ. Very much so. Much like all of these. So here we go. Number eight, uh, heresy number eight is uh, a poly... Apollinarianism? Apollinarianism, I'll say. All right. Proposed by Apollinaris of Laodicea, this doctrine held that Jesus had a human body and a human sensitive soul, but not a human rational mind, which was replaced by the divine logos or word. This view denied the full humanity of Jesus by asserting that his divine nature took the place of what would be the human mind and thus making him less than fully human. Yeah, so uh, this is kind of like that, uh, which one was it? The monophysitism, another sort of offshoot, I guess, of Nestorianism, if you will. Um, you know, their monophysitism, right, said that his divine nature is assumed as human nature, and this one's saying, well, the, his divine uh mind or the divine nature replaces human mind. It's that, kind of the same well, idea. Well, that kind of means that he couldn't be tempted. Right. It's the same problem you fall in with the monophysitism. If he's fully divine or the fully divine mind, then he was never really tempted. He probably never really, you know, Because it's the battlefield of the mind. <laughs> it all starts like, that's how... Satan gets you is getting you to believe a lie. Oh, it sure. Is. It's your yeah. mind, and then it goes to your heart, and then it. Well, and this one made me chuckle when action. I read it because, you know, he talked about monophysitism was an offshoot, you know, that cult leader trying to niche down. And one of the tips that you'll um, hear if you, you know, look into how to build a content creation platform or whatever on YouTube and all these sorts of things. Um, and it's, by the way, advice that Nikki and I don't follow in any way whatsoever, which is probably why we uh, we are where we are. But the advice is that you should continue to niche down as low as you can, right? Niche down as far as possible so you can cater to a very specific audience. So Nikki and I decided instead to start a podcast about 
Christianity, just the <laughs> broadest possible topic we could find. Um, but this heresy seems like that. You know, monophysitism, they found their niche in arguing kind of the opposite point of view of Nestorianism. There's not two natures, there's one nature. And then comes along Apollinarianism, niching down even further and saying, well, it's not one nature, it's just Christ's mind that was replaced with the divine nature. Like, okay, like, sure, it's the same thing, but you're just niching down. These guys would have been great YouTube content creators back in their day. Um, but I went and looked this one up on Ligonier. Ligonier? Ligonier. A whole bunch of words we don't know how to say today. But Ligonier Ministries writes about Apollinarianism, and it says, Apollinaris believed human beings are made up of three constituent parts, a physical body, a lower soul that makes us living creatures, and a higher soul or spirit that is equivalent to the rational mind that humans possess. Immediately, we should see problems with Apollinarius's thinking, as this three-part division of human beings has no scriptural support. Biblical Christianity has always taught that human beings have two constituent aspects, body and soul, a dichotomy. This understanding is grounded in passages such as Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, which refers to human beings as possessing only a body and a soul. Uh, just so you guys are aware, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So again, much like all of these heresies, you're like, they're not in the Bible, right? But it's just the human mind trying to come up with a rational or a logical explanation to the mystery that is God. And you just sort of, you know, trying to fit that, what is it, the square peg in a round hole kind of a thing. And mm -hmm. you're just going to, you know, pull some different parts out and make a Frankenstein out of Christ. And here's the God I believe in. You're like, well, show me the verse. Well, if you take like the word the from 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and then you take uh, mind from Exodus, whatever, and you make a verse, then they, like it's almost what you'd have to do, it seems like. So, um, yeah, I, you know, like Ligonier says, anytime you're kind of building a belief system apart from what the Bible teaches, you're in heresy. Uh, so, Apollinarianism sounds like heresy to me. Mm -hmm. Very strange here. But we got two more heresies to go. Stick with us. So the ninth heresy is Ebionitism. That's what I'm going to say. Ebionitism. Um, okay. Uh, I was going to try to say it different. Ebionitism? I, I heard it different when I looked it up. Anyway. It's uh, Bionites were a Jewish Christian sect that viewed Jesus as a mere human and a prophet, but not divine. They rejected the concept of the virgin birth and insisted on the necessity of following Jewish law and rites. They saw Jesus as an inspired human messenger, but not as God incarnate. Yeah, uh, this to me hmm. may be the most prevalent uh, belief today. I mean, cause this sounds like a lot of unbelievers today, 
You know, Mm -hmm. most people, at least in kind of Western society, Western countries, they'll claim that Jesus was a good man. He was even a great man, right? He was a wise man, whatever happens to be, but they'll deny his claims about his deity. Um, And even for that matter, I would say a lot of supposed Christians, while they may not say this, they really live their lives in ways that deny Christ's deity. They deny his lordship. They deny his commands. It's just... I like him. He seems nice, right? Sarah Young, Jesus is going to wrap me in his love light. Like, what does that mean, right? Um, And to me, this brought up, you know, this is kind of that belief system where you would have to go to, you know, the famous C.S. Lewis quote from Mere Christianity. Um, C.S. Lewis, in that book, he writes, uh, Jesus told people that their sins were forgiven. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Mm. Uh that sounds like a message directed straight at Ebionites here uh, because, you know, by their claim that um, that Jesus, again, is a great teacher, prophet, whatever, by that claim, they were not Christians um, any more than the people today who like Jesus' teachings, they like his moral standing, they like his wisdom and you know, his parables, whatever happens to be, but deny his divinity today. They're no more Christian than those people are today. Why would you believe anything that Jesus taught, but deny the things he said about himself concerning him being equal with God, being God? Right. And that's why there's so much truth in the C.S. Lewis quote that like, how is he a great moral teacher if he's a complete lunatic liar who calls himself God and forgives sins? Yeah. Uh, no, you don't believe a lunatic and a liar, right? So you can't have it both ways. He's either the lunatic, the liar, or he's God. And um, you have to accept one of those. You can't have a mixture of all three or, you know, you can't take the first two or, you know, whatever happens to be, right? You can't say, I like his moral teachings, therefore I'm going to heaven. But do, you, do they just not believe that in his miracles either? Like they don't believe uh, in well, the virgin again, birth. I don't know a lot about but, nights, so I don't sure. know yeah, as far know as um, what they believe or don't like, believe about. Even if, even if there wasn't a virgin birth, but we know why there had to be one. But just his miracles alone, like Jesus even said that, believe for the miracles alone. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, I'm not sure what they would believe on that. Uh, because again, I don't know, you know, for like the atheists and stuff today that, again, I, w- I would assume they deny the miracles as well. Um, 
I think they would have to deny the miracles as well. But uh, just on this, right, you know, Paul, I thought of Romans chapter 10, verse 9, you know, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? Like, you have to have the proper view of Christ to be saved. Yeah. You know, you can't just say like, oh, I like the, you know, the parable of the the poor widow and the widow's mites. I like that story. I'm going to heaven. Like, no, you're not. Uh, you got to have a proper belief and faith in Christ, the Christ who is God. So, you know, if you confess Jesus was a smart man, good, he was, uh, but that's not good enough. So I would say Ebionitism is a heresy for sure. Uh, and that brings us to our final, our 10th and final heresy of the day. And uh, I'm sure there's many more heresies, but these are just the 10 that Christian Post gave us. And this one is Patripassianism. Patripassianism. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Patripassianism. Okay. All right. Also known as modalistic monarchianism. All these isms. <laughs> this belief held by figures like Sibelius proposed that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons within the Godhead, but somewhat different modes or aspects of God. Pit that word. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, it suggested that the Father suffered on the cross as Jesus, thus denying the personal distinctions within the Trinity. The modern-day Jesus-only expressions of Pentecostalism are a contemporary version of this view. Yeah, and uh, this, again, I think is another very common heretical view without understanding that it's a heretical view. Um, this idea mm -hmm. that God um, is three, essentially three natures in one being instead of three distinct people in one Godhead. And again, I think the Trinity is a really hard uh, thing to understand and really difficult to come to grips with, with human logic. So again, I think we naturally tend to this point, this well, belief. The... Um... One of the explanations people give to try to explain modalism. So if you ever hear anything like, um, I am a daughter and I'm a mother and um whatever, a sister. So it's like, I am me, but I'm these three different things that have different roles. Like what I do as a mom is not what I do as a daughter. So if somebody's trying to explain the Trinity in that way, that's modalism, and that's a false. Uh, that's a false way of viewing the Trinity. Yeah, and I've, I'm sure I've explained it that way because I've heard it, and that made sense to me at the time until you really stop and think mm. about what you're saying. Um, which you know, I probably took too long to realize it. But yeah, that's that's the heresy that it's not three distinct people. It's because it's easy to right. understand. So I think we accept whatever is easiest for our minds to comprehend. Yeah, I think that's, again, why a lot of people believe this without even understanding what they're believing, because it's just, it's really easy to to understand the Trinity in that way, where it's a lot more complicated to understand, I don't know, there are three distinct people that make up one triune God. A triune God. Um, and yes. they each have their own, you know, sort of distinct 
roles in the triune God, but they're co-equal. Like it's a very, I mean, again, it's a concept that we may come to understand at some level, but I don't think by our human minds, we could ever fully understand what the Trinity means in a full sense. You know, we can, but again, we should also not just go, well, I don't know, but this one makes sense. So I'm just going to believe this because it's easier. No, again, we have to live a little bit by that mystery that Bonhoeffer talked about and just put our faith in it that, yeah, I don't really understand it. Um, but Do you think like Catholics don't have a solid view of the Trinity because they think you have to pray to Mary to get to Jesus? That's kind of a skew no, in I that. I think their belief in the Trinity is fine, but it's they have just almost made God harder to reach. I don't know. They've put barriers in front of him, but I think if, if you asked them, they would believe rightly about the Trinity. But if the Holy Spirit lives in us, why would there be Mary to get through to get to Jesus? I don't know. Right. It doesn't make sense. And they've made it more difficult to get to God where, you know, Christ on the cross, he tore the veil. He, he, granted us access directly to the Father. As the veil now. Right. So they put the priest in front of God. They put Mary in front of God and in front of Christ. And And works. Right. So, but I think if you sat down and asked them, they would have a proper understanding of what the Trinity is. Um, But right again, so like Nikki said, you know, the idea that I'm uh, Spencer, Nikki's husband, but I'm Spencer, my mom's son, and I'm Spencer, my kid's dad. That's not what the Trinity is. But you can't say, I am a Trinity, or I'm more, I'm the, whatever. Yeah, so definitely different. So the Trinity, again, is difficult, and I'm not that smart on these topics, so I'll reference smarter people. Um, I went and looked this up in the Easton Bible Dictionary, and they describe the Trinity. Uh, they say, the propositions involved in the doctrine are these, that God is one and that there is but one God, uh, that the Father is a distinct divine person, distinct from the Son and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ was truly God and yet was a person distinct from the Father and the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is also a distinct divine person. So again, they just point out very clearly, they are all one God but they are all distinct, different people uh, or different beings, not people, but different beings. So, I mean, again, it's a concept that we'll spend an eternity uh, trying to understand fully and we'll probably never come to the end of it. That's why God has never been, like when we think of ourselves, if we become like the Mormons believe God, are we going to have a, a Holy Spirit and are we going to turn into a Trinity? Well, and they can't believe in the Trinity. I don't think the Mormons can properly Mm-mm. believe in a Trinity, right? Because Jesus is adopted in a sense, right? That's the adoption is a oh, yeah. heresy. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so those are the 10 heresies that we're going to look at today. And, you know, as we always like to do, I like to end with why is this important to Christians? And I think this is fairly easy to understand, you know, uh, why this is important. And we've highlighted a few verses stating, you know, why we believe this is important. But I think it's important because there seems to be, there seems to me almost nothing sadder than for someone wanting to believe in God 
and thinking that they're believing in God and to be that close and miss it. Um, you know, this is, I think, maybe part of the reason why James talks about teachers will be judged more harshly. You know, you're teaching these people and they think they're hungering and they think they're chasing after God, but you're really leading them away from God. Uh, I mean, Lord have mercy on those teachers' souls uh, in eternity. But as we've said before, I mean, belief in a false Christ is not really belief at all. Um, so it's vitally important to get your understanding about Christ from the Bible. You know, as that Ligonier um, article mm. mentioned, like, these mm. beliefs are not found in Scripture. So they're taught, but, and again, like Mormonism, right? They're, they're taught and they're sort of referencing Scripture, but these beliefs about Christ— they're actually not taught in scripture. So we have to go to the Bible to find out who Jesus is. And then, you know, um, you got to put faith in God. You got to just put some faith because you're not going to rationally and logically understand every aspect of God. Um, so you got to go to the Bible to see who Christ is. You got to read his word, find out how he's represented there, how he's explained there. And again, it's challenging at times. It requires faith at times. It requires more than human logic and rationality or whatever the word they like to throw around is. So, you know, I think on this point, you know, Christ, the Trinity, these difficult do uh, topics, you kind of, you got to be a Berean. You know, if you're familiar with the Bereans, right? When you hear these sort of topics and discussions about Christ or whatever, you got to go into the word to find out what's true. Yeah. You can't just take somebody's word for it or... Um, well, you know, this makes more sense. I can understand the father, son, brother paradigm. Is that what the Bible teaches? So you got to go in there and find it for yourself. So I think that's why it's important. It's sad. I mean, consider someone that close and then they miss it. Um, so what should Christians do about this? I think first and foremost, well, you should sure up your beliefs. We should sure up our beliefs. Um, you know, and as we've read through these 10 heresies, it may have hit a, a nerve with you. You know, maybe we read one of these and it hit a nerve with you. Like we mentioned, there was a couple of these that you can see a lot in the church and in the world today. You know, the uh, the the one that talked about a new God from the Old Testament God. I mean, that's something that's prevalent today. So if this hit a nerve with you, I would say good. Um, let that maybe drive you to go and get in the Bible. Um maybe spend some time going and reading about some of the historic arguments that have already happened either for or against your beliefs and see if they hold up, you know, um, whatever it happens to be. If we highlighted one, uh, you know, I'd say be prayerful beforehand, you know, that God would show you the truth. And, um, I think maybe going to read this article again, it'll be linked to the show notes. This is a good place to start. Um, because this article also references some good places to go and find out who Christ is, the truth of what the Bible teaches about Christ. They mention the Nicene Creed, um, and that's where sort of the doctrine of Christ and his nature was really argued and debated, uh, really in response to the heresy of Arianism, that first heresy. they mm -hmm. Once that came about, they were like, uh, okay, we really need to like formalize the nature of Christ here because people are getting it really wrong. Um, they mentioned the Constantinople, Constantinopolitan Creed. <laughs> that is a word. 
Um, which I think that creed sort of looked to clarify the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit was and his nature. They also mentioned the Chalcedonian Creed in there, which I'm not as familiar with. Um, so those are good places to go and start and read. And um, I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of not reinventing the wheel. You know, this mm -hmm. is why I like reading about the Puritans and the Reformers, because pretty much any heresy that you're dealing with today it's not new, right? Some yeah. of these heresies have been around right. since the apostles walked the earth, Gnosticism. They've been argued, they've been debated, they've been, um, you know, doctrines have been written. It's been clarified, but because we refuse to look at history and go and do a little bit of study, we think we have to come up with these arguments all on our own afresh every time. Right, right. That's a huge burden. And it also rejects the hard work and the sacrifice that these godly men did before us. Like we talked about uh, Athanasius. I mean, he suffered and was persecuted in his life to formalize a doctrine of Christ's nature. And we're just going to be like, I don't care what he did. I'm going to figure it out for myself. Like, sure, you can. Um, and you should do a little bit of work on your own. But yeah. again, this stuff is out there. Look at it, read it, go find in scriptures where it talks about it and see if it's true or not. Um, but you got to do a little bit of legwork on your own here. So go learn from these godly men. Uh, I think in some respects, it'll save you a lot of time. It'll save you a lot of heartache of doing the work on your own. So I think that's something we should do about this. And then I think, you know, how should we pray about it, right? Because Christians should pray about everything. Well, I think first pray. <laughs> um, and I think you should pray because there's nothing harder than laying aside or letting go of beliefs that you have held previously, maybe mm -hmm. even for much of your life. You know, it hurts our pride, which humans don't like having our pride hurt. Uh, it could even put us at odds with loved ones, with friends. I mean, it might even force you to leave a church that you've been a member of for a long time. That's really hard. Uh, and it requires, you know, God, I think, to really move on your heart and really give you a desire to choose him over comfort, over um, your past, your history, your friends, whatever it happens to be, you know, when you seek that level of truth or whatever. Um, I think that's a hard thing just to realize you were wrong in a belief, not even about religion, but just, I mean, a lot of things in life, just to admit, yeah, I thought the wrong thing for most of my life. Um, gosh, I can say in the last... 10 years, I've admitted I was wrong on a lot of things, like just with oh, yeah. parenting and all kinds of things. Oh, my goodness. All kinds of different topics. And I mean, it's hard, too, because Christians are people who love people. And it's hard a lot of times when you come to a new understanding of Christianity, you know, and because in a sense, you're also telling your friends and family that you're wrong in your understanding as well. And that's difficult, right? Because we love people. We don't want to hurt people's feelings and stuff like that. But, you know, I think those are kind of things that we have to pray to have the courage to lay aside. Because as Christians, we should be willing to lay aside everything or anything that sort of gets in the way of us following Christ and that true Christ, right? Not a Lord of our own making, but the true Christ. And I'm not going to suggest it's easy. Uh, depending on your personality, it might be easier than other people. You know, some people are a little more all right with agitating uh, others or being in disagreements with other people. <laughs> I'm not that. I'm not a very aggressive person. Uh, I like to just 
make peace with a lot of people, you know, and I've so calmed down. I used to be more aggressive, maybe yeah. more on social media, but yeah, I used I used yeah, to get caught it up brings in it. You out, it. Brings that out of you. That's why it, social media. Yeah, is a yeah. But definitely something you need to pray about. You know, have the Lord show you, um, and you know, have the Lord open your eyes so that you're willing to see. You know, because I think that's one of the questions, right? If you ask most believers, like. Do you believe that your theology is 100% correct in every area? Most people would be like, yeah, I mean, odds are no. I mean, there's just okay, some well things then, you have never considered, different doctrines maybe you were just unaware of that existed. Oh, for sure. That's something we're definitely coming to. I mean, again, in the last five or six years, the amount of, as our faith has grown and we've dove more into our Christian faith and now walking this road of, um, trying to become a pastor and studying. It's like, you know, what you thought you knew about Christianity before was like a hole in the dam and just a little spigot coming out. And then you realize as you start looking, there's a ocean behind that. And you're like, I am not ready. I feel like every day I hear a new term that I'm like, what is this? I have to learn about this now. Like, okay, now I have to know about mm -hmm. patria passionism. Like, goodness gracious. There's a name for um, everything. Like, you don't even realize that all these all these beliefs have a word. Like, there's so much in history. Like, it's all been debated, like you said. Yeah. Don't try to... I mean, yes, you can figure it on your own, but... It's been done. You can research it now. Everything's at our fingertips. And yeah, I mean, and you should. You I mean, should but everything, yeah, it. test everything with scripture, of course. No, I mean, again, the more you look, the more you find, you know, and again, the deeper, you know, that well is for you to. <sighs> To try to reach the bottom of. So, um, but we got to do that work, right? It's the same with like being a Christian. Um, the longer you're a Christian and being sanctified, the more you see your sin. It's like you don't feel more holy and righteous as you go along. You feel more like, wow, I know I'm not who I used to be, but I'm still like the Holy Spirit is going to keep convicting you little by little your whole life. Like it's like your sins become those smaller, those sins that used to seem smaller to you actually grieve you more than what they did five years ago. Yeah, I thought it's of like, something our pastor said. I was, we were at like the test for treats during Halloween and he came up and, you know, asked him about the Ten Commandments or whatever. And, you know, obviously he knew the Ten Commandments. And I think I said something like, boy, you know, you're qualified to be the pastor here. And he was like, I'm qualified to be a sinner. <laughs> I was like, that's a good mindset to have, <sighs> right? The longer you walk this road, I guess, the more you realize like, I'm not qualified for much of anything here, um, but by God's grace alone, you know? So yeah, it's good. Um, go do some research, pray, have the courage to lay aside old false beliefs. But uh, do you have any final topics here? I know this was a longer episode and not really. Do I no. have any final topics? <laughs> any final, any thoughts on our oh. topics um, that we talked about? The news, the heresies, oh. anything you discussed before we get into our recommended listening? No. All right. Well, as we mentioned kind of throughout this, I'd love to know what you guys think. Um, if you have more insight on any of these 
heresies. Maybe if you've heard of other heresies that weren't listed here, please let us know. As I said, we're doing our best to get caught up. You know, right. <laughs> we're trying to learn as, as much as we can. Uh, and I know that there's more than these 10, but uh, we'd love to know. And, um, you know, maybe if you believed in one of these heresies or you, and <clears throat> like what got you out of it, you know, what opened your eyes to it uh, is if you've come out of those, I'd love to hear, you know, those success stories and maybe um, again, some tools in our toolbox, right? If there was something that helped you come out of these, you know, false beliefs, what was it? What opened your eyes to it? We'd mm -hmm. love to know yeah. so we can help others there. So um, our recommended listening though, as we get ready to wrap this episode up here, uh, I figured since we talked about the Trinity quite a few times today and the difficulty of really wrapping our mind around the Trinity, I thought, you know, not that we'll ever get the full explanation, but um, you want to go give a listen to R.C. Sproul and his uh, discussion on the doctrine of the Trinity at least get a little bit fuller understanding of what the Trinity is. Uh, R.C. Sproul is always a good listen. Um, whether you fully believe everything he believes or not, I think he's a well-learned man um, who speaks clearly on biblical topics. So go give that a listen. But otherwise, uh, we will be back tomorrow morning. Uh, we got our family devotions now every Sunday morning. We're doing those five-minute family devotions. We're in Bonhoeffer's Advent devotional for the rest of this month. And then starting in January, like I said, I think we're going to try to dive into Genesis and then just for the foreseeable years, however long it takes, however long the Lord lets us do this, we're just going to try to walk through the Pentateuch, you know, book by book, week by week, um, mm. with some breaks in there for our own sanity. But um, I love Genesis. I love it too. Um, but we're going to try to keep it more family focused, not necessarily because, again, we're not smart enough to go super deep into the theological underpinnings mm. of, you know, Genesis, but just more family devotions if we can. And then um, we will be back next week to kind of have our end of the year sort of wrap up show, if you will, try to squeeze one more episode in this year. So please come back and join us next Saturday and Sunday. But that is all we have. We do hope you guys have a Merry Christmas and have a blessed week. Mm -hmm.